All right. We're back at it. We're back at the show, episode four, I believe, right? Nah, man. Oh, like, five. Six, five or six? Five. Yeah, it was... I lost uh, count. Who was it? It was... Um, I can't think right now. I need some liquor in my life. <laughs> what are... First of all, thank you guys for joining and Creative Vices again. This is Andy speaking. This is Abe. And today's guest, well... Dude, I'm Alex. What's that? My name's Alex. Alex what? Come on. Alex Lugo, yes. <laughs> All right. I mean, we gotta, we gotta explore a little bit about our history because we go back from 2017 and 2018. Yeah. But first, what are we having today? Today what we're having... What are we having... drinking today, Andy? What? What are we drinking today? Uh, at this point, it's just all a blur, but if you ask, it's Bullet Bourbon. Mm. It was the recommendation of the of the clerk, uh, and it looks good. It looks like Beto Bismol, not Beto Bismol. I'm sorry. It looks like a Robitussin. Robitussin, mm. like that yeah, really like, strong yeah. caramel look, but the smell is good. So it doesn't smell like Robitussin right. or taste like Robitussin. All I'm gonna say yeah, is that I, I used up all, all the ice by accident, so we're gonna have to drink and beat. You have no ice. <laughs> I'm working on it. It's, it's, we're it's building scary. a budget. Uh, right now I'm talking to accountants and financers and- Yeah, ice is under production. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, 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 it's a rough start of the year. Oh, and of course we need to, we need to shout out to Ellie. Shout out Ellie. The art guru. That's a big cup, you want all that? Here, that's all. All right. All right, let's do this thing. Sweet sound, the pouring liquor. Yep. All right. Cheers, guys. We're all Hispanic, so we know ching, the ching. name. Ching ching. Let's check this out. What a strong smell. Yeah, right? Ooh, that's rough. Oof. Yeah, especially without the ice. <laughs> that is, I feel like an adult. Yeah, yeah, I think I just burned 99.9% of the germs in my mouth. Well, you there you go. Multi-purpose. Yeah. Actually, this is great for the weather outside right now. It is. It's, Open it's, a window, just take that. That'll out. warm you up real quick. Oh, yeah. Well, all I'm going to say is I'm going to take my sweet time with this. Oh, yeah, definitely. This is, this is like transcending. Yeah, this is going to be rough. It's fine. It's all right. <laughs> it's all right. We're going to have ice soon, I hope. We'll see. And hey, at least we enjoy it. We're not rushing through it. Um, but yeah, Alex, tell us a bit about yourself. Uh, what does it say? Let's see. Uh, so what day were you born? Your social security number? Specifically the second one. Yeah. Okay, we'll, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Maybe you can get me drunk enough. Um, yeah, I mean, my name is Alex. I grew up in uh, Miami for the most part, but I was born in Puerto Rico, uh, moved around a lot when I was younger. Both my parents were actors, so I grew up around acting and film and all of that. Um, we moved to LA when I was a kid from Venezuela because uh, my, my dad was trying to do more acting stuff in the US. He had a very long career in Latin America. Started when he was 16 years old and he is turning 78 this year. So my dad's been oh, wow. acting for 62 wow. years. Nice. Yeah, he's acted all over Latin America. Uh, Venezuela, Colombia, Puerto Rico, Peru, Brazil, in Europe, uh, all over, and even in the States. Uh, basically, 
Uh, he was my first acting coach. He's how I got into all of this. I, I grew up watching him on TV, on set. Um, I watched him, you know, on stage, and yeah, that's really what kickstarted my love for acting. And he film. must be a huge motivational pusher, like just inspiration. Yeah, yeah. It, um, yeah, it was definitely a huge influence growing up. It was like, um, like always around me. I was always watching TV. I was always watching movies. My dad's uh, part of the Screen Actors Guild. Uh, even before I was born, it's like the 80s. He's been part of the guild. And so my dad, every year, around this time, actually, right before the Oscars, right before the Screen Actors Guild Awards, my dad would get the movies in the mail. And that's really how I started, like, falling in love with movies. I would watch these movies with my dad every year and he would, you know, like, uh, have me vote with him. So he would ask me, like, hey, like, who, like, who do you think, you know, was the best? And we would watch all the movies and we, he would tell me, like, we would talk about the acting and talk about, like, um, yeah, basically, like, it was a bonding experience is really how I fell in love with movies and not just acting, but movies in general. Uh, I got to watch a lot of great movies that way. Like, my house is a huge movie collection. Um, and... Yeah, that was really how it all started for me with film and acting. Nice. Um, that's beautiful. Hey, that's some ice. Some yeah. ice drops. Oh, we're getting there. We're getting, we're getting there. there. We got approved. <laughs> we got greenlit, guys. Well, we were sure. <laughs> but um, there's actually two points I want to bring up with what you just said. Uh, mainly, correct me if I'm wrong, but recently, I believe when you were still in New York, because mm -hmm. you've been from Miami to New York to now Atlanta, and yeah. that doesn't include the moments that you actually travel for work. Mm -hmm. But correct me if I'm wrong, uh, a few years back, you actually got the opportunity to be in, on the same screen as your dad. I think it was in New York, if I'm not mistaken. No, that was in Miami. In Miami? Yeah, Tell yeah. us a bit about that. Yeah, so I had been living in New York uh, from 2018. Um, well. I just lived two summers in a row in New York. Uh, I studied at Stella Adler both those summers for acting. And then I moved there in 2018. Um, and I was there for pretty much two years, 2018, 2020. I did uh, a lot of acting and theater stuff up there, more classes at Stella Adler. And I was also working at a bank at the time. Besides being an actor, I'm also a software engineer. So I was working at a bank up there in New York. But then COVID happened. COVID happened and we, uh, um, Basically, the world kind of stopped, as most of you know, um, and we, sorry, what was I? Uh, the world stopped, and basically, New York was the epicenter at that time. Yes, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, like, New York was, uh, it was bad at first. People didn't know what was going to happen. They were scared. People were scared that, like, the state lines were going to shut down. They were going to, like, like, block things off and keep everyone in the city so it wouldn't spread. Um, so I very quickly, it was like one day to another, I like booked a flight to Miami and went back to Miami. I worked remote. Um, and I like, I ended up just moving to Miami all of a sudden, uh, very abruptly. And I was there for two years. Hmm. And during that time, like obviously the theater stopped and a, a lot of film stuff stopped. And there was just like this huge period of time where there was like nothing being made. And so, um, one of my best friends, his name is uh, Felipe Castilla. He's also one of my collaborators. We worked on a few projects together. He, um, him and I had been wanting to work on a project for a long time. And so we had a bunch of scripts just sitting around and we said, hey, let's not make, why not make something now? You know, nothing else is happening. Let's make something. And so uh, that was the first film I, pro I produced. I started my own film production company called Vitruvian Films. 
That film was uh, They Prefer Richards? And we made They Prefer Richards. Yes. They Prefer Richards is a story about uh, uh, this guy who's going through a breakup. Um, and it's a story of him kind of overcoming that. And also kind of coming out of the shadow of his twin brother. He always grew up in the kind of shadow of his twin brother. He was always the cool one. He was always the fun one. He was always like the ladies man. And he was always kind of more like the shy, awkward, um, kind of like introverted type. And uh, it was really cool. It was, it was a, a fun challenge from a um, from both a production and a acting perspective. As an actor, being able to portray two human beings in the same film, uh, different from uh, like they're very different human beings, but identical physically. And being able to do that, that was a lot of fun. And then uh, from a production perspective, how do you make a movie? Um, where you know with two like where you you have one actor playing two people like especially that's your first movie ever you're making it was it was a big challenge um but it was fun and you know we decided to do it and anyways to get back to your question uh my dad had a small cameo in that film we we got him a, a little cameo in the film and so we uh i actually got to act with my dad um uh, for that project and that was a lot of fun so nice you think you do it again oh work with my dad yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like on a bigger scale? Absolutely, yeah. I have, I have a bunch of ideas of stuff that I'd like to do with my dad. Um, yeah, definitely. He lives in Miami, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Is he still an active actor or what's yeah. his... Nice. He's currently, uh, he is a recurring guest star on a show right now called Fantasy Island. Okay. Um, on Fox. Not to be confused with Love Island. Very different show. <laughs> Love Island, yeah, the, the reality TV show. No, no, no. Fantasy Island, uh, it was a huge show back, don't quote me on this, I think it was the late 70s, early 80s. Uh, it was a big family show. It was a show people would watch with their families and stuff. Uh, and basically, it's an anthology series, which means yeah, every episode is a different story. Um, but there are some characters that recur throughout the show. Um, and that was a huge show back in the 70s, 80s. It was a big family show. People used to, you know, gather around the TV with their parents and families, and they used to watch it. Um, Fox decided to reboot it in 2021. Um, and my dad, yeah, is one of the series. Yeah, he's not a series regular, but basically a series regular. He's in like, I think in season two, he's in eight out of 12 episodes. Um, his character, he's like uh, the. My dad plays the old wise man of the island. He knows all the secrets of the island. He's like the Yoda or like the Gandalf of this <laughs> island. And it's a magical island. So he's like, but he's like this old man that everyone uh, has always known lived there. And like has, he's been old as long as anyone can remember. <laughs> and he's just this old wise man that has all these books and, and like knows all the secrets of the island basically. Interesting. Um, yeah. So yes, he's still, he's still acting nowadays. <laughs> How about your mom? My mom retired from acting when I was born. Mm -hmm. um, she, yeah, basically, uh, she was a stay-at-home mom almost my entire life. Um, um, so yeah, I've actually never, I've seen my mom, act, my mom act in something before. Would you ever write something for her? And you think, do you think she'll take it? I've told her before if she'd want to, but she says that now that she's like, she's good. She doesn't want to, mm -hmm. so I don't know. Do you have any like archive footage of of her doing her thing or I think I've seen like one scene of her from like a novella um, that she did in Venezuela at some point uh, but I know we don't really have that much footage of it now not really very crazy and now I, uh, first of all uh, for those who are listening Alex is suddenly 
his second time doing a podcast with me. Uh, the first rendition was when I was doing Simply Talk during the pandemic, where everything was a little bit more virtual. Yeah. Um, so there's going to be some like intertwined and parallel topics. But I, I want to touch bases on this too, because I think Abe and I will strongly agree that you're a hell of a fucking producer. So oh boy. can you tell us about that transition and the journeys? Because even when we first <clears throat> asked you this question, I'm sure there's more moments of like experience and exposure and lessons that you learned since. So what was that like? What was the, was it out of necessity? Was it like, what made you want to be like, all right, let me actually make these movies? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so I read an article once that said that basically um, as an actor, um, acting is one of the career paths where you have the least control of your career. Um, you are constantly at the whim of others seeing you in a certain light or seeing you, oh, I think you'd be right for this character. And it's always the character that they think you'd be right for, right? Which might not align with your goals and what characters that you want to play. Um, and so I read this article that said, basically, as an actor, you have, if you want to take control of your career, if you want to take the reins of your career and play the roles that you want to play, you have to make your own, your own projects. And it's the only way to kind of guide your career in a way so that people see you in the light that you want them to see you in so you can play, get the opportunity to play the roles that you want to play. Um, and so that was definitely a big driving factor in me starting to make my own stuff. And I, regardless, like I mentioned at the beginning, I've always been a lover of film. My dad, again, I watched all the movies as a kid with my, my dad. So um, like I always wanted to make my own projects. And so that was always in me that like, wanting to be, to be a producer. Um, but yeah, I didn't start until basically the pandemic when I was sitting around, I had nothing else to do. And I was like, let's do this, let's make these movies. Um, so that's when it started. And it started with April for Richards. And yeah, I mean, it's every project I do, I definitely learn something. And I, I, I only take on a project if I think that it's going to have a challenge for me. If it's like, like I don't want to just take on like a project just to do it. Um, I want to do things that I think are going to be a unique challenge, something that I haven't done before in terms of like a brand, because that's the only way you grow. The only way you grow is if you are constantly pushing yourself outside of your comfort zone. Um, so I, yeah, pretty much that's something that I look for when I try to work on new projects. But um, yeah, I mean, I, this is with uh, this last project that we all worked on. Uh, Will and Clark show that makes the third project I've produced. So I definitely cannot say by any means that I am a very experienced producer. But you have me fooled. <laughs> you have a good foundation. I will yeah, say that well, you I, sure. you impressed me, and that was like I don't know. It's I, the most important thing I want to know is what was that lesson, like initial lesson that you're like reflecting on once you wrapped your first production. Damn, this is hard. <laughs> yes, indeed. And yeah, I was exhausted by the end of April for Richards. We did barely slept for five days. It was, it was tough. It was hard. Like you, you know, you schedule twelve-hour shoots, but it's going to be fourteen or fifteen, especially in the indie world. Um, you, everything that can go wrong will go wrong. Yep. 
uh, people will fall off ladders. <laughs> like, First-hand experience. We'll talk about that in a bit. Yeah. Um, anything that can go wrong will go wrong. So, yeah, it's just perseverance, uh, thinking on your feet, problem-solving on your feet. Uh, so definitely those are some of the first lessons. Uh, and another very, very important lesson, but I knew this going into the first one, is you need to have a good team. Yep. You need to have a good team. That is paramount. That is probably the most important thing about when you're going to a production. Do you trust the people you're working with? And besides, obviously, do you trust the story? Do you believe in the story? Do you truly, are you truly passionate about the story? Because if not, you're not gonna give it your all. You're not gonna wanna wake up at 3 a.m. or whatever, or, or, or go to sleep at 4 a.m., you know? You're not, you're not gonna wanna spend a whole weekend not sleeping. Um, uh, so, it, it, you need to really love the project. Uh, that's the first thing. But, um, yeah, the team. The team is huge. And I had the good fortune of having worked on a lot of other projects beforehand, even with you as an actor, mm -hmm. and having seen, worked on great projects and worked on not so great projects where the team was not in sync, the communication was not there, and basically the, the, the production, the producers were, were, you know, the producer's really the project manager of a, of a production. And if, you know, if that is not clear and it's not, you know, like uh, completely planned out and, you know, and you, you've, you've thought through everything that can go wrong and whatever, and, and you know, it, if you don't have that, then um, you're gonna face a lot of problems in the production. So basically, you need to have a great team. And I learned that working on other projects as an actor. And so first project I worked on, I knew I needed a great production team and I brought in some people that I had worked with before. Um, we had, uh, you worked with Ariel before, Ariel was our DP, um, and I, I knew for the first one, especially as it was a pretty ambitious uh, project with the whole twin stuff, that I needed guidance. I needed someone that had done this before. I, like, I am not arrogant enough to believe that I know everything, especially when I had never made a movie before. So. I, I needed to work with someone that I knew what they were doing. And so I brought in a good friend of mine, uh, Selena Savage, and she was incredible. Uh, she is what I consider, I think, I consider her to be my production mentor. Nice. If you think that I was good on Will and Clark on that set, that's, I, I, am, I am only like 40% of Selena. Like, Selena is incredible. Um, Shout out and, to Selena Savage. Shout out Selena. Yeah. You gotta get us that contact, man. Uh, <laughs> yeah, she's back yeah. in Miami. I've worked with her a few times, and yeah. not just in indie stuff, but also like in corporate stuff. I think I worked on like three commercials where she was the production coordinator. Mm -hmm. And she honestly is the, 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 the humility and the humanity that that woman has is truthfully like inspirational. The way that she's able to delegate, but also maintain a sense of of like intimacy between the the team, um, she's really really good. Um, so I would love to get the, the opportunity to work with her. And again, like the thing with producing is that you're literally problem solving, and it's not like you have to kind of like go into it accepting that there's gonna things that are there's things that are gonna go wrong. There's things that are gonna be out of my control. Me personally, as a producer, um, I I like to think of all possible worst case scenarios, not because of optimism, but more of like preparation, because when they do happen, there's a plan B or a plan C, and those things that are out of our control, it's not necessarily too far out of our control, because at least we kind of like 
had some eggs in our baskets to be able to like prepare and like delegate and and just figure shit out um yeah. to go on the whole uh incident that happened um i fell off a ladder um, <laughs> due to uh, time constraints and like um intraday reading uh reading that required more like let's say precision um and the one no animosity on that because things happen the only thing that i will walk away that i think i touched bases on you that weekend is safety is key and especially for your riggers uh grip and electrics you need to have clear communication and understanding and be ready to compromise either a setup or time because you cannot compromise time uh i'm in this i mean sorry you cannot compromise safety because especially when you're doing indie stuff when you don't have liabilities when you don't have those things those safety nets that even then they might not be enough things can get serious like so realistically i could have just said i'm not coming back because my shit hurts and yeah figure it out but that's that's beyond my integrity and i wouldn't do that i would have um, stepped up though if you said that yeah i believe that actually <laughs> actually like i kept you did, saying no, you did step, you did step up you did do like i kept <laughs> saying even to abraham like even the worst moments are opportunities in disguise and that was a huge opportunity for abraham to step up to take the lead as a gaff that was actually my first time gaffing yeah I, yeah i had never like um, besides like helping him put up lights and then pitching ideas i had never like actually done a gaffing job and before, he so. he killed it he, nice. yeah, he did great yeah you both did great yeah i mean you 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 powered through i know obviously definitely had to take a break and stuff but the next few days you definitely powered through and then we and we made it so definitely like yeah you guys you guys did a great job on this film yeah and i'm excited for everyone to watch it will and clark show coming out soon. the will and yeah. clark show great people that was a great so so well written man oh my shout god shout out to shout out to chase chase for that script because that was a good that was a hey, good we story. might have him on the podcast he's a local we event. should we definitely should we you should just get chase text me. <laughs> so i'm gonna say what's up yeah, i'll text him later <laughs> so i'm gonna be on next week's episode but uh yeah uh, that's why another thing that we have to consider when we're producing or when we're like just managing an ensemble is which is why i never had any gripe with you um is things are gonna get ugly you're gonna get heated you're gonna kind of like insist a lot of like the people around you to be able to gain results but it's never out of malice it's more out of yeah like, it's more out of passion than it's anything. passion it's passion it's perseverance and saying that i know you can go this far mm -hmm. i need you to like get there i need you we have five minutes to get that light set up either we get it or we don't but that's what we need to get done yeah and i think the i think the main reason why when things like this happen on set where you know there's heated arguments debates screaming matches whatever it may be the the main reason that people can get past that is because you know you're you're both in it for the same reason for for the love of it for for believing in what it is that you're doing believing in the project itself I can get into a, as a gaffer and you as a producer, we can get into an argument yeah. uh, regarding lights. But as long as we get what we need and we do it well, after the shoots all said and done, there's no hard feeling. Yeah, you know, we move past it. That's like, like, all right. We got into it, but we we made it happen. That's right, like what exactly. I told you, and I think I don't know if I've told you, but I'm telling you now, I guess. But that's the beauty of having um, 
uh, restaurant industry background, yeah. you learn that it's all heat in the moment. I'm yeah. the type of person that I can literally tell you, Alex, fuck you, what the fuck, in the moment. And then once we wrap, we're like, yo, let's go grab a beer. <laughs> what the yeah. fuck was that all about? Yeah. And yeah. we just hit the shits, we talk, we banter, we release, and then we do it all over. Because at the end of the day, it's like, it's not like you want me to fall off the fucking ladder. Right, of course. It's not like, <laughs> it's not like all these things that could have happened, did happen, were intentional. It's just exactly. a matter of like, we're faced with a problem, we need to resolve it, and we need to move past it. And then after that, we just learn, we reflect, we move on. Yeah, either way, there's never enough time on set to argue. Because like once you once the argument's over, you're already in the next scene or in the next shot and you already forgot about it. You're like you're so focused on what you're doing and moving forward and keeping time that whatever argument happened like two shots ago are irrelevant. Yeah. Completely agree. Yeah. And I think that's built into the way like the roles are, are made for like crew positions. Like I think like in any good production, there is it, it, it there is always meant to be some tension between like innately, there's always gonna be some tension between, especially the first AD, and I would say like the DP and like the camera department in general, you know? Yeah. Because obviously, um, the AD's time, the AD's job is to make sure we stay on time and make sure that this movie gets done, that whatever we're shooting this day is gonna get shot this day. And then the DP and gaffer and the camera department's <laughs> job is to make sure that this looks as amazing as it could possibly can, visually. And so, Obviously, if you have more time, you're gonna use that time to keep making it better and better and better because there's no such thing as perfect. And you keep making little tweaks and fix that shadow and fix that light and fix that angle. And, and you can constantly do things to make things look better. Um, and so obviously, if you have a great DP and, and a great gaffer and a great team in, in the camera department, they're gonna do everything they can to make that image look as good as possible. And they're gonna want to take as much time to do that. But the AD also has time constraints and it's their job to make sure the movie gets done. And so there is going to be innately always tension between the, the AD and the camera department. That's just going to be natural yeah, always. in any sense. But with that comes a big uh, understanding on both sides. It's just the Because, job. yeah, the, the DP is doing what he needs to do, but he, regardless of how heated the argument can get, he still understands that the AD is doing what he's supposed to be doing and vice versa. Yeah, yeah let's get something straight. This little disclaimer for any aspiring assistant directors like don't get so caught up in people getting upset at you don't get so caught up in people not liking you or whatever yeah and if you don't have thick skin you shouldn't be an also yeah. yeah and an honest opinion in my honest opinion if people are if, if you're getting like on people's nerves as an ad then you're probably doing a good job. Yeah, you're probably you're, you're pro doing your job because I uh, your job is not necessarily creative. Your job is like punctuality. It's it's numbers. Is get shit done. It's, it's executing. Execution, exactly. yeah. yeah. And on top of that, it's like I learned something. Uh, someone taught me this once or told me this once, and it was like eye awakening. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't want to be an AD, but whenever I do, I remember this. You never want to let people you're on time. You never want to let them know that you're on time. Mm -hmm. Because the moment that you let people know they're on time, they get comfortable, <laughs> they get, they expand the possibilities of what they can do. Right. Of course, you don't want to be a dick about it, but you always want to keep them on their feet. Like, 
even if you are an hour ahead, you're like, guys, we're five minutes behind. We gotta get yeah. going because it's all rhythm. It's all adrenaline. It's all beat by beat by beat by beat. You don't yeah. want to like lose the tempo in that scenario. It's true. The moment you let <laughs> you let the crew know that you're good on time, you're no longer good on time. Exactly. <laughs> and yeah, like all in all, moral of the story, guys, is movie making is rough. So we encourage you to give it a try. Yeah. <laughs> it's fun though. It's very rewarding. It's fun, man. It is. It, it is really one of the is. few things that it's it makes you literally pull every hair out of your fucking head. And be pull. grateful about it. Yeah. And once you see the dailies or the you see it on the silver screen, you're like, holy shit, I can't wait to do the next one. That was fucking worth it. Yeah. I I I really think uh, that film in many ways, in my opinion, again, this is just my opinion, is the ultimate art form. And the reason I say that is because it combines it all, right? There is writing is a huge part of it. This music, there is uh, a lot of it can have choreography, so it could be dance. There's uh, obviously visual, the photography, the cinematography, um, the acting, the performance of the, of the actors. Um, it's, it's truly one of the ultimate art forms because it combines almost every art form. Production designers, like on set, like the set decoration, that's, an, that's a huge part of, of making a film. Uh, Honestly, great. bro, like look into the few episodes that we've done um, and we've touched bases at least twice already that saying that filmmaking on itself is just the culmination of the arts. It's the arts in its most pristine form because it's literally the stock pot of all arts just coming together in harmony to create this beautiful recipe or this beautiful just product product that you're 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 resorting to to production designers who do wardrobe or makeup you're resorting to videographers that do technical composition of how to do this and that lighting uh, electricians every possible both artistic and and technical like skill set comes together to just make this vision come to life specifically i mean i wouldn't say specifically but you can really see it in the movies of the 80s and 70s where a lot of it was very practical you had to figure out how am i gonna get this shot that has so much dynamic components like have you guys seen um how they did the whole melting face of the uh, of the Indiana Jones thing, the Raiders of How the, they made it? No, I haven't seen it. Like, was it a stop motion? It was a stop motion thing oh. where they were blowing a hot air gun to it and slowly shifting the camera. And that's how they got that sick effect of just his flesh just melting away. Oh, wow. And that, like today we have the fortune of like doing it in post, uh, yeah. which in itself is an art form. We yeah. have technology but yeah. to have to build it and make it seem realistic i mean jaws itself he i think the the, anim, the animatronic itself had a name and they prepared for any possible scenario and still they had to adapt because i think the shark itself was like was malfunctioning or something malfunctioning yeah, yeah. I, heard, stuff. I heard that yeah yeah so it's it's insane how true it is that cinema is just I'm gonna fuck it. I'm gonna say cinema's humanity coming together to just realize ideas. Yeah, whether it's a practical effect or a digital effect, there's always like a team behind it, trying to be 
cohesive with the rest of the production team trying to make it whatever it is that they're doing make it look as good as possible for the sake of the movie because like you said earlier it's 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 a harmony of all the different arts and if one thing is off i mean you'll you'll notice it yeah i can't think of a single more collaborative art um because it's all of them it really combines all of them put together um and yeah so i i, I don't know of any other that is you know that can do that. I don't know any art form that, that can bring it all together like that. Theater mm -hmm. comes close, musical theater as well does. Uh, it has a lot of the elements, but it's like, it has all of them minus a couple that film has basically. Um, I think theater is more driven by space awareness and energy because uh, I've done a few theater shows. I'm not saying I'm a theater actor. Shout out Sparky. Sparky making noise. Uh, Sparky always with the attention demands. But in theater, although you're doing a show every day for like three times a week for set periods of, um, of like the year, every day is different. And all that reflects to the, to the audience, the energy that you're given. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong, have you done theater before? I've done theater, yeah. So I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, but like theater is, is a collaboration with the viewers at that point because you're engaging with their energy that they're putting off, whether it's laughter, whether it's silence, whether it's emotional, like, it, and on top of that, to give a little higher nugget, because I did In the Heights, I didn't tell you that, I did In the Heights, I was one of the key ensembles. Nice. And one of the most pivoting moments as a theater actor is the like the build-up announcement before the curtain goes up you hear the bells and the the bells and whistles in that scenario and you hear the pop, 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 pop. and it's just this sensation of unrealism of just lights up on washington heights yeah up shout day. out to lin-manuel miranda we're in the middle of watching hamilton yeah but yeah tell me a bit about that am i just like far-fetched by saying these things or what is it like to this theater itself have that sensation of energy involvement with the audience oh absolutely yeah i know uh to me there is nothing more thrilling than acting on stage even more so than on camera i i love film and i think that's really where i want to focus my career in uh, because of the art form as a whole, I love making movies and I do love like the end product and and all of that um, But when it comes to just acting uh, There's nothing like live acting because uh, you're just in the moment and you definitely do feel, feel you feed from the audience uh, From their energy it definitely drives um, Yeah, it definitely drives uh, the, the performance in many ways um, yeah, I, I never, I've never done um, live acting, but um, I used to, I used to play percussion, so I have, I have like performed okay. live. Um, but my question would be like, there's certainly a lot more pressure um, as a theater actor when you're performing, doing your thing, versus you know being on a set, right? There is to a certain degree, yes, there is. Uh, usually when you are doing theater, you've rehearsed a lot more than, than you have if you're doing film. So usually by, that, by, the, by the time you're actually doing it in front of an audience, like, like you've got your lines down, you know what you're doing, you know your character, you understand this, you've done this a bunch of times already. Um, 
there is the pressure obviously of like you only get to do it once basically well you do it every night but you only you there's no like oh wait cut let's do it again yeah. put it back there's none of yeah, that even even if you do it let's say a period of like what 10 times throughout that whole showing every night is different right because of what i'm saying of the energy because of like not just internal or external but culminative energy yeah and because we're human we're all like you know every day is different and uh it it really um yeah every day is different every you know regardless of what your job is this is your job you don't show up to work every single day and you are the same person every day you know things happen in your life you know like uh some guy cuts you off in the highway you get pissed off and it's already like the like, like things in your life will happen not every day is different and that bleeds into your performance 100 percent uh, and then also obviously every audience is different and that also bleeds into it how um, much of that um energy from the audience do you feel when you're when you're on stage oh it's a wave oh it's huge yeah you feel it uh it's in my opinion it's the kind of like it gives me an adrenaline rush being feeling connected with the audience uh and to the point that i think there is this concept called flow that a lot of people refer to um it's basically a moment where your brain kind of turns off and you're able to just like do and, and and athletes get this a lot a lot of like runners talk about this and just athletes in general when they're uh perform when they're doing their you know they're they're they're, they're performing in their sport they uh, their mind just goes blank and they're just doing and it's just this moment of zen and of connectedness and of just like execution and as an actor when I'm on stage and I feel that energy and I get that adrenaline rush people ask me like do I get nervous I don't really get nervous I get that adrenaline rush that then gets me into this this zone where I'm not thinking anymore I'm just doing and I'm living in the moment and that doesn't happen every time that does not happen every time I wish every actor Every actor, that's what they're seeking. They're seeking that moment when they are completely, their mind is blank and they're just completely in, like, ingrained in this performance and in that moment and finding that, and that's how you find truth in your, in your performances. And that's not going to happen every time, but when it does, it's, it's magical. It really... That's awesome. Yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, I think it also, that's like kind of falling into a rhythm of something that you've that you've rehearsed or practiced in an athlete's case yeah. so often that it becomes almost instinctive yeah i think i think to kind of like embody it in my personal experience one of the when the energy is right it's the, the the analogy i can give it's like it's like a strong breeze of air that doesn't pass through you it goes into you it, it kind of fills you up and it kind of levitates you and it just it just encapsulates you in this moment. I don't know. It's a weird. It's it's not a sensation you can necessarily ascribe. It's something that you have to be present. And yeah, it's definitely a shared energy. Because I'm sure you, as an actor, you feel the audience's energy. But also as a viewer, when you see the person up on stage have that energy, you feel that too. And it's like an exchange, you know? Yeah. And, and regardless of whether it's on stage or in film. Like even when you're acting in film, you're not in a vacuum. Unless the the hardest thing to do, in my opinion, is a self tape as an actor. That is the hardest acting you have to do. Why? Because that is, especially if you're doing a self tape over Zoom, that is the hardest thing as an actor, and that is a whole art form in itself. Why? Because then there truly is no other human to feed off of. You're isolated, and you are completely isolated. Other than that, other than in that scenario. 
when you even when you're on film, you might not have all the audience, but the crew is there. The other actor who you're performing with is there. Like you're not in a vacuum. There are other humans there. As long as there are other humans there, you're feeding off that. There's energy. a world that there is around yeah. you. Like even even beyond, even if it's just a monologue that you have on screen. Um, there's the lights. There's the ambience. There's the the prior direction. There's the and especially, I don't know if you've gotten the luxury to work on film. I haven't, but they say that when actors work with film, there's a real sense of like importance or a real sense of mm -hmm. like gravity because quite literally, it's finite. Quite literally, they press record and you're literally hearing the roll go down the bank. <laughs> literally yeah. you're yeah. literally hearing money go down the drain so that is your moment that is like the one take if you want to put it that way 100 percent. yeah no i've not had the pleasure of working in film yet but yeah that uh i'm sure yeah it's being engraved physically yeah yeah definitely now you're but not you, you're, oh go ahead no no i was gonna say you mentioned um having the crew as an audience um and i'm not an actor i get weird in front of the camera i like to be behind the camera i have my vision i like to execute it but as far as acting goes i do my best i don't consider myself to be an actor so what i wanted to ask is that you had just mentioned that you sometimes can take the the, the crew um and as an audience so how, how do you like do you ever like tone out whatever it is like your surroundings when you're really in the moment yeah what is really that like scene? because i've done it a few times and how do you how do you kind of disconnect the fact that there's a whole world outside of the world that they're trying to build? Like you're, you're in this moment, but the reality is you have camera right here. You have AD right here. You have all these bodies that are possibly distractions. How do you, how do you channel what you need to channel in that moment? Well, for starters, you want to try to eliminate as many uh, distractions as possible, but uh, it comes with a few things. One, experience being on a set. Mm -hmm. And two, and most importantly, preparedness. Um, if I'm on set and I'm in my mind thinking, what's my next line? It's over, it's over. It's not gonna be a good performance. It's not gonna be great. Like you're not, you're not gonna be able to focus and you're not gonna be able to get, you're not gonna be able to reach that flow state that I was saying before. If you are, if I'm, if I am um, in my head and, I, and I'm like, uh, you know, about to do a, a take and I don't know my blocking, that's a whole nother thing. That's that, again, like, like you're, you're out of it. You're out of it. Um, you need to be prepared. Basically. That is the, the number one thing. Other than that, you're never going to completely, um, er erase the world around you. You need to have a strong imagination. Basically build the world, know it around you. Self tapes help a lot for this I actually do because self tapes, there's, there's, a, there's a caveat then. The, what do you mean, what's a caveat? There's a caveat in the self and the isolation of the self tapes because it kind of creates discipline, I guess. Yeah, it does. It does. It, it definitely does help. I think self tapes. Uh, it builds imagination because you have to build the world and you have to do it all by yourself because there's no one else there. There's maybe there's a camera in front of you, but you're literally in a setting. There's a blue screen behind you. You have to create everything around you. At least when you're on set, at least you're on a set. Like I, we were in Will and Clark, we filmed on a set of a. Uh, talk show we filmed in a dressing room so like you can there's still elements there you can draw from when you're doing a self-tape it's all imagination and that definitely helps build your imagination 
but yeah, you're never gonna completely turn it off in film, especially. In theater, you can get very close. In theater, because there's less, a lot less distractions. There's not a camera in front of you. There's not a guy holding a boom pole in front of you. You know, there's not um, uh, all these C stands and lights around you, right? It's, it's a little bit different. In theater, even with the lights on you, you actually can't even, usually can't even see the audience. It's all black. So it's all like little weird silhouettes almost. Yeah, so it's very easy to lose yourself in theater. That's why a lot of actors love theater. In film, there are all these other distractions and elements around you, and I think um, one, yeah, there are all these elements distracting you uh, in film, and basically you can't completely tune them out because you need to know, okay, the camera is here. Where is my light? My light is here. You need to stay in light. Sometimes you need to know, hey, you can't move this far off frame because all of a sudden you're all of a sudden you're off camera or you're covering the other person behind you. That happened a lot in Will and Clark. You need to, spatial awareness is very important in film in that sense. Um, being aware of where the camera is, you can't completely forget where the camera is because yeah. you are delivering a performance to the camera. Yeah, landing on your marks, hitting your cues. Exactly, so you the, need to keep all that in mind as well. It takes and, a lot of like uh, internal multitasking. Uh, there is a lot of multitasking going in your head, yeah. yeah. So you need to be prepared because if you're doing all of that and thinking, damn, what's my next line? You're, you're lost. You're not gonna. You're not gonna hit your mark. You're not. You're, there's so many other things to worry about when you're performing. That yeah, it, it, it's a lot harder to reach that flow state in film. I would say, at least for me, um, because there are those other elements. Whereas in theater, it's a little, you know, a little less. Uh, that's again going back to why actors love theater. It's easier to lose yourself. It's easier to reach that flow state. But you can still do it in film. It just takes experience. It takes practice and um, preparedness, basically. Um, do, you, do you blame actors? that actors like Joaquin Phoenix or or uh, Christian Bale, Christian Bale yeah, that, the crew that are like moving around too much in the background. that like, lash out during a take <laughs> because they're losing the zone. I personally I was going to bring that I, up. I, I under a, <laughs> I personally understand them because it's 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 literally even as the director, I it's with frustrating ha with happy anniversary. Yeah. We had a moment where where people I gave them their time to set up and all that stuff. And then when it was my time to go, they're starting to rush me. There's a moment of like, it's my time right now. You need to understand and respect that. Mm -hmm. I gave you your moment, this is my moment. So I need complete, utter respect and silence and commitment. So that's why I personally understand. I don't really fully agree with it because it is to an extent wrong, but I do understand the the sensitivity behind it, the the personalness behind it. Like, what do you what do you feel about that? Do you think that an actor is out of their place to lash out because uh, crew members talking behind the scenes, or or do you think it has its merits? How do you feel about that? Well, it, it, it's hard to justify being an asshole. That's for sure. Like, of course, <laughs> like like you don't want to be a dick. But can I sympathize with them? I can. Um, th there's a few things. One, if you are truly enveloped in a character um, and uh, the, the conditions of that moment, especially from take to take, you, don't, you, you cannot come out of that. It's, it's really hard to just, you know, like, especially the, it really depends on the scene. If I'm in a scene and, my, and I am 
like screaming at someone. I'm furious. Furious. For example, in Will and Clark, a great example. Well, uh, at the last scene that we filmed for my character, at least, where you fucking they, brought the trash can first. Yeah, take. I kick a trash can. I'm screaming fuck. I'm grabbing a, a, a walkie-talkie and I'm like berating Will on the on the walkie-talkie for what's going on. And my character is furious. And then you cut. I can't just all of a sudden come out of that and then do another take and then all of a sudden turn it on as soon as you say action. Like, that's not genuine. You're, I'm in that state of mind and you are in that state of mind. And these actors are in that state of mind. And so that will definitely bleed into what happens in between takes, 100%. Uh, for example, I mean, during Will and Clark, I, I, I did not want to be an asshole, but I was also producing and we were running behind time. You had all and, the turds against you, bro. Right. We, 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 I was producing, we were, we were behind time. We were two hours behind. We were paying for a location. They were paying by the hour. Um, every extra hour is like $450. Um, so it's, it's, it, you're under a lot of pressure and you're doing this scene where your character is pissed off. And then in between takes, like, you know, we, you know, you need to hustle and keep moving. Like it's, it, it's going to bleed into it. Which you I'm might, sure yeah. helped for the role as well. Because Oh yeah, it, it definitely, definitely does. Yes. So it was like, kind of like, I think I go back to this conversation time and time with other actors, the inconveniences of the, of the inconvenience itself sometimes can apply to the character that you're trying to portray yeah like the fact that you're out of time the or that you're paying x amount of money for a location every second counts you can probably pull out of that and implement it to your producer role and be not producer role but the role that you're playing yeah yeah 100%. and be like clark we have a, we have a statement or we have a quota we need to meet like don't fucking do this yeah. or will it did feel that way though oh yeah oh while right. you were while you were playing Will and Clark's manager, I saw a lot of like Alex, the producer, and I was like, ah, oh, okay, like, I see where he's getting it from. Yeah, well also, I mean, I was I was playing that role three days on set and I was also producing on set and there's no way to completely disconnect those Did two. you ever get lost? Like, be like, um, wait, what, what, what am I right now? Am I, am I Ken or am I Alex, what's going on? <laughs> no, and I mean, I think for every role you do, you have to bring a piece of yourself to it. Like, like, like you, like, I, I I'm, I'm no matter what role I play ever, there's always gonna be a piece of Alex Lugo in that role, right? Um, and and you can't you can't eliminate that. You can't eliminate that. Um, it's an extension. I, exactly. I, I was saying that last time too. Like, as an actor or even as a writer, you have to start from a source, mm -hmm. and exactly. that source has to be you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Whether it's your emotion or a personal experience. Your foundation is you. Your foundation is you and your experiences uh, collectively, whether it's... And your experiences don't have to be first-hand experiences. It could be drawn from things you've read, things you've watched, things like yeah. that. But it's going to draw from you. And so you are the foundation upon you will you build a character. You're not building a character in a blank slate. You're building it on top of you. Because you can't get yeah. rid of that. Um, and you have to learn how to use that. Use the parts of you. Um, uh... But yeah, with all those pressures on you, and with all, uh, and 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 now let's let's, you know, extrapolate that a little bit further to, for example, Christian Bale or Joaquin Phoenix, who they're, you know, they have all eyes on them. It's not just the eyes of the crew and whatever. Maybe it's a bigger crew. No, 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 no. It's also like everyone who's gonna watch this movie at home and is already expecting a caliber of work that they've delivered before. And if there's someone distracting in the back who's like, you know, eating shit on their phone or if whatever, and for a lot of these products, a lot of these actors, going back to what I said earlier, 
a lot of these actors are producers too. So like they're putting money into this project and then not just that they're getting paid for to do this project, but maybe they're putting money into it and expecting a return. There's a lot of pressure on these, on, on these people. So you put all of that, you're in a stressful situation, like we've said before, and uh, anybody on set is stressed on time. And on top of that, you are performing and you know, reaching certain emotional states is not a simple thing. It's not like reaching what, what, what Chase did on Will and Clark, that's not simple. And if someone is, you know, I'm gonna use a Miami phrase, eating shit in the background, <laughs> and it, it's gonna distract you, it's gonna get you out of your zone, and you can't reach that again, all of a sudden, like as an actor, that's a very sensitive thing. It's a very, th it's something that can be thrown off very easily. And uh, if people aren't, aren't being professional on set, that's, that can tick you off, because all of a sudden, your performance is, in many ways, tainted and ruined, and you can't get back to that exact place you were, because you got taken out of the moment. Because yeah, it's of that. like you said, it's, there's not, it's not as simple as a reset button. There's no. a process. You have to kind of like, especially when you're dealing with a like multi-layered character, there's in itself, you have to go through those layers again. You have to find yourself in that headspace again. So. Oh, side note. Side note, go ahead. Eating shit in Miami <laughs> means lingering, loitering, doing nothing. Just kind of standing around or doing not something paying stupid. attention or doing something or doing stupid. something stupid yeah uh, yeah for those of you who are not from miami miami but... lingua 101 yeah. shout out to miami i guess in the in, in its best ways possible i guess 305 305-786-954 whatever you want <laughs> you know i didn't know that um uh eating shit was not a uh you you like universal term until I moved out of Miami when I Bro, moved to New York. That was yeah. when I first found you out. You know what's not a universal term that we're still struggling with? And I think you know where I'm going with this. Yeah. Dude, it is so hard and so weird not being able to say dale. Dale. <laughs> because in our culture, dale means like, all right, cool, sweet, whatever. Let's do it. Let's and go. If, yeah. if I try saying this in Georgia or anywhere outside of Miami, through text, people are going to read Dale. And it's like, who the fuck yeah. is Dale? Dale is like the equivalent of saying bet. Yeah, Pretty much. Bet. Dale and bet, yeah, basically. Yes. But nah, like it's speaking of like cultural differences, that is that is still something I'm adapting to. Yeah. I just substituted for sweet. <laughs> Everything's sweet. <laughs> but, yeah, no, uh, Miami has its own language. Miami is, it's a culture on its own for sure. 100%. It has its, its headaches, pun, but yeah. it's also, it has its headaches, but it also has a lot of beautiful, like beautiful things in itself. Yeah. Um, what do you miss the most? Sorry, I'm, I'm gonna stay on the Miami topic for a second. What do you miss most from Miami having moved here to Atlanta? Bro, like. Croquetas, bro. Croquetas? That kind of, uh, bro, yeah. it's, I'm giving you. <laughs> Shout out to Ellie. Oh, you got Ellie, okay. I'm asking, consider this me asking. Croqueta con jamón y croquetas. De pollo. Shout out to Ellie. Shout out Ellie for making good uh, but I'll, uh, be, I'll be back next week, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> honestly, honestly, this is kind of going off of this. I uh, Since I moved up here, I went to Miami once. And I swear to you, like, I might be crazy. I don't know if you connect to this or you. But, like, one of the first things I smelled once I got off the airplane was pastelitos. Hell, <laughs> and I'm like, what the hell is this? Like, this is crazy. Like, that buttery flaky sugary beautifulness i don't know if you get that sensation once you get to miami but like 
Yeah. What, what, what happened first? Did you did you smell the pastelitos or did you feel the humidity? Humidity <laughs> <laughs> oh feel on the plane on the way there. I, right? I think I, it's like, when did I go? I went like in October, I believe. So it was it was not crazy humid. Yeah. So I guess they didn't hit me too hard until I went outside. Okay. Yeah. But literally, as I, even as I got out the plane itself, this sweet aroma. I'm like, what the hell? This oh is Miami. I'm home. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, no, the heat it, is real over there. Bro, is, I went. I went a month ago, and it was like 100 degrees when I was there. Well, I was here there for it was like, like 40 days. degrees. Yeah. Yeah. It was crazy. I was sweating my ass off. That's why it's kind of funny when people up here complain about the humidity and heat. I'm not sure. You've been here a little longer, so maybe there has it has its merits. But like, bro, when you're outside in Miami at 94 degrees with 90% humidity, All and like one side. Around. It's a sunny day and the other side are a thunderous rain cloud. Yeah. I, I mean, it feels I, like an apocalypse. I, I, I agree. I don't I, think it's that bad up here. <laughs> I will say the heat here in the like peak of summer, the peak of mm -hmm. Atlanta summer, it is pretty bad. It is pretty intense. It is. But, but it's not as humid. It's it, it is humid, but it's not as it's like humid a little as drier, perhaps. Right? It's, it's a little bit drier, yeah. And so, like when it comes to the heat, yes, I think Atlanta definitely has like yeah, they can they can make their claim. It's hot as hell here during the summer. But it, it even even the, the the worst day in Atlanta is nowhere near as bad as the worst day in Miami because of the humidity. Bro, in Miami, it, yeah. on, a, on a, not even on a bad day, on a normal day, yeah. I go out, take out like I. I, I'm nice and clean. I'm freshened up. I go take out the trash, which is like 10 steps away. I come back soaked. Like, yeah. it's not even fucking... It doesn't have explanation. It's just that's how yeah, it is. It, I, it feels like on a hot, humid day in Miami, it feels like the moment you step outside, immediately all the water in your body is being excreted. Yeah. What I will say about Atlanta, though, that I got a small taste of it. Y'all got a huge fucking insect problem. Like, spider. So? I mean, spiders here. Mm. Spiders here, I think, overpopulate humanity because spiders and snakes are a big deal here. Oh, like, really? I haven't. I feel like I haven't noticed. In comparison to, because you're in Buckhead, so more, you're probably more like uh, more in the urban area. But like, let's say here, yeah, you can't take out the dog and not run into a fucking spider web. Mm -hmm. Really? Yeah. Interesting. So, it's not crazy bad. I'm not. I'm not necessarily afraid of spiders, but it's definitely jarring. So I don't know. I had that experience in Kendall though. Like in Kendall, there was a lot of spiders, a lot of lizards, a lot of yeah, I, I garden snakes all the time. So I. But then again, yeah, I went from living in a like a my Kendall's the boom dogs Kendall though, to living so. like, in, like an apartment building here. So it's different. You're right. I, I do live in a much more urban place. You, than the example that you can relate to with Miami is probably like. If you're in Brickell or Tucker Grove or anything that's urban, you're not gonna yeah. have much of that infestation of insects. Right. But when you're like in Kendall, Homestead, those like suburban areas. Especially in the summer, the mosquitoes, bro. dude, it's bad, yeah. Um, mosquitoes are a big yeah. fucking problem over there. Yeah. Or the, too. Or like, the, the, do, you, do you remember going, especially you, you, you grew up in Kendall. You grew up in Kendall? No, but I, I my last few years were in Kendall, so. Okay. Well, I. I I remember as a kid, like hanging out outside, playing with friends, like playing basketball in the streets, yeah. whatever, uh, or or catch or baseball, whatever, and just like all of a sudden, in the middle of a summer in Miami, you see a gigantic cloud of gnats 
just like, <laughs> like it's a, it, it's yeah. like a swarm. <laughs> like the worst, <laughs> the worst is when you're like, like you you with you're your running. friends, you're a kid, and you're running, you're like riding your bike like right into that into cloud, the cloud. Oh and my you got like three or four of them in your eye. Yeah, you swallow like five or six. <laughs> it's terrible. Oh it's my terrible. god. Or every time I walk, <laughs> every time I walk, fucking sparking during those like peak seasons. It was like I'm just fucking. I don't even need to eat lunch anymore. <laughs> I'm yeah. fucking eating fucking gnats for, for lunch. <laughs> That's crazy. Good source of protein, they but say. But you know what? It's fucking Miami. It's home. It has its headaches, but it has a lot of our roots. So, yeah. mad love to Miami. I, yeah, big, big facts. I love Miami. I go back too often to miss it, though. I, <laughs> so people ask me if I miss Miami. I don't. I go back too often. <laughs> like, I go back... I was back in Miami uh, for the holidays. I was there from December 13th to January 3rd. I got I got there early because I was shooting a short film with mm -hmm. some local filmmakers there. Uh, shout out to Jennifer Joy O'Grady. Uh, and to Nick Puya. And Nick Puya was in it as well, you're right, yes. Uh, shout out Puya. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a great team, great team that we had on that film um, called The Creators. But anyways, we shot that at the beginning of December. Uh, or mid-December and then stayed for the holidays Christmas New Year's and I, I came back into Atlanta But basically I was there for, for for the holidays. I went back in February for my birthday um, To visit Your family Pisces? and stuff. What? You're Pisces? I'm an Aquarius. Aquarius? Okay. Yes. Yes, Ellie on point with her uh, Zodiac astrology, yes <laughs> um, But yeah, and then now I'm going back. I'm going back next week a week from today. I'll be back in Miami. Oh, I'm going next week too. Are you going too? Is going, it next uh, week? Um, yeah, Monday, the 20th. Oh, I'm going on Tuesday, 21st. You're going for the uh, Miami Music Week? No, sorry. Sorry. Two weeks. Two weeks. 27th, uh, I'll be there. Ah, damn. Okay. Next, next week is Miami Music Week. Uh, there's going to be I'll a be lot of concerts that. and stuff. I have a friend, his name is Jordy. He owns a company called Hurry Up Slowly. And they're doing... Uh, That's a nice thing. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It's, it's really cool. He... Um, he... He's awesome. He has a bunch of businesses. The guy's like, you know, he's a very successful guy. Uh, and he, his company, Hurry Up Slowly, they do these big events in Miami. And basically, his company has organized an event that's happening in Miami Music Week. If you're in Miami, check it out. Uh, head, it's an event, a music event, headlined by Diplo and Idris Elba. What the? Yeah. I, I, I was going to be like, I don't know who the first one is, but what the hell is that guy doing? You know, Idris Diplo? Elba? He's, he, you know he's a DJ. Idris Elba's also a DJ. Yeah, that's right. Actor. That's right. Yeah. Really? Yes, yeah. he got into DJ. He has a, dude, there's a song. I, it's been stuck in my mind for that's like crazy. a month. It's you really, gotta really good. You got to check it out after the podcast. Do it, do it, do it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think uh, the song, I Diplo's think a big it's called Boasty. Too. Boasty. His, 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 that's like his biggest hit right now. And that, that song is like, it, it's catchy. It's catchy. Play it at the end of this podcast. Bro, like, I don't, I don't know. Well, I don't know if we have the license for that. Oh, that's true. But, uh, like, watch it. Mad Bromance, but Idris Helda. Uh, what's his name again? Idris Elba. Elba? Yeah, yeah. Matt, uh, shout out to him. Yeah. He's, he's a pretty fucking attractive dude and pretty fucking, like, yeah, man. dope ass guy. Like, oh, he's a cool guy. The fact he's that cool he's guy. a DJ and I didn't know about that, that's fucking mad props. He's a fucking. He's, yeah, he's a phenomenal movie. actor. Phenomenal. There was rumors for a while that he was gonna be the next James Bond. Yeah, I remember that. I was, I, I was looking forward to that. Same. I hope that does happen. I don't even I know where the rumors are now. I think, I think even like Robert Pattinson was talking the talks of it. I, I can really. see that too. Robert Pattinson's yeah. a great actor. He's an amazing actor. He had, talk about an actor that like redefined his career. That's oh yeah, Robert Pattinson. Right Big there. time. Yeah, from Absolutely. Vampire to Batman. Uh, you By the way, fucking love that new Batman. Like, oh, amazing, amazing. You can, you, uh, Ellie can vouch for me, but like. 
from day one, she was kind of against Batman, mm -hmm. like Robert Pattinson. Pattinson. Yeah. And I was like, just give it a try. Like, like, I don't know. Like, people know him for Twilight. Twilight doesn't really justify his ranges. Yeah. Yeah, but, for sure. Yeah. yeah, I was going into it. I knew that he was like, I had seen other stuff that he's been in and I knew that he's a decent actor. Mm -hmm. But I went into it with like not so much, so many expectations because of how like, how, how DC had been running things in recent years outside True. of the Joker, obviously. So I was like trying to keep an open mind. I was like, I want to watch it because it's a Batman movie and Batman's like my favorite comic book character. So I wanted to go see it um, regardless of whether it was going to be bad or not. But I was fully expecting it to not be that good. And Bro, dude, my mind was blown. Both that movies out of this world is so good. Both really Batman good. and Joker are true cinema. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 100%. yeah. No, the Joker was incredible. Joaquin Phoenix killed it. Yeah, and yeah, uh, the new Batman is definitely amazing. With Robert Pattinson did an amazing job. Um, and I love the world they built. It's 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 yeah. um, the last before that film and before the Joker. The last good DC film, in my opinion, was. Not really, not really a true DC film. It was The Dark Knight. It was, it was The Dark Knight. Damn, yeah, that bad. everything after that yeah. has not touched that until the Joker. Absolutely. I, I, I thought Man of Steel had its merits. Like it, it, it was, wasn't a bad film. It was, it wasn't it was a not bad perfect, film. but it wasn't on the caliber. It was not on the level. It was, of Dark it was not in that tier. Like my biggest gripe with Man of Steel was that it didn't let me live in the moments long enough. Like we, we will, we will be in a moment where like. Clark's dad dies due to the hurricane and all of a sudden we cut to something else like I that's my big gripe that it felt yeah. like we, we we weren't able to really enjoy the moments as they were trying to develop I, I agree with and I think I think I blame the studio more than anything because I think Zack Snyder wanted to kind of push it and and that's I, I totally understand that um that that choice and I agree with you but I think the reason for it was because we've seen like the Superman origin story in live action and in, in animated form and in the comics so many times already that I felt like the whole purpose was to just kind of get to the point of the plot and not spend too much time on the origin since we all know what the origin is. This Batman movie, the Batman with Robert Pattinson, we didn't get any origin story for Batman. Everybody knows Batman's that Batman is an orphan. Everybody already knows that. So. Even if you're not a, like a big Batman fan, you know Batman's parents are dead. It's like a big thing in meme culture. It's a Absolutely. big thing. It's 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 a it's Bro, no. Going back to like our first podcast, like the moment that like that guy fucking makes his first flight and eats it. Yeah, there's so much. That's when I fell in love. In it. That's when I fell in love with the movie. As soon as he he takes that flight and slams into the truck and like does the, <laughs> the, the, like the sound design, the realism. Yeah. Like I, like I cringed when that happened in a way of like almost relating to that pain because i'm like whoa that is heavy <laughs> that hurt jesus yeah. this is the second time we talk about the batman on the podcast we, the first the episode we went it's a great detail about it Damn. oh nice nice yeah i think like back to what you were saying as far as the tears yeah i can honestly say i my personal tier levels i put those three films in the s tier Which and then ones? everything else no, the, dark knight trilogy? the dark no oh. the dark knight Okay. Um, the Joker and the Batman. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, they're, they're top tier, 100%. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I... Christopher Nolan is my favorite director. He's my favorite director. Uh, I love Inception. I love... Interstellar is my favorite movie of all time. Oh, yeah? Um, oh, really? Love Interstellar. Yeah, okay. absolutely. It combines a lot of things that I love. Science and 
obviously amazing acting. Matthew McConaughey. I love a good space movie. Yeah, yeah Jessica, Jessica Chastain, Anne Hathaway, like stellar cast. Dude. I'm a big yeah. fan of Anne Hathaway. Oh, and incredible. I, 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 I consider Anne Hathaway to be my favorite uh, female actress because she's just out of this world yeah, so good. Definitely. And even though I wasn't a huge fan, I did like the movie, but I wasn't like as in, as interested in it as The Dark Knight. When I saw her in The Dark Knight Rises, I think she did a stellar job um, oh, yeah. portraying Catwoman um, in for, for the parameters of this universe. Because obviously Catwoman probably behaves a little bit differently than Anne Hathaway's portrayal in the comics and in other, uh, in other variations of the of the world mm -hmm. but in this nolan universe i think she absolutely she's killed great. it absolutely she, she's just a, a, a phenomenal actress she's incredible she's incredible she is definitely like she i think people i've heard people say it before and i completely agree she is the meryl streep of her generation oh yeah yeah i can agree i, I want to kind of veer off to a different topic yeah because i i think we've We've like dissected the fuck out of the whole like arts and stuff, and I think we've made a lot of beautiful points, yeah. uh, both beautiful and ugly. But uh, this is gonna be a very polarizing topic, but it's also a very realistic one. Mm -hmm. How do we feel about artificial intelligence coming into the world of arts? Yeah, we understand that you studied that into yeah. great depth. Because I know you have a strong on not only understanding but also like just it's not infatuation but you just have a a strong perspective on it i i am very interested in the topic of artificial intelligence i um so i think i said it earlier besides well first of all first of all sorry to interrupt but first of all yeah. do you think there's even like art in that like in the ai what do you mean by that do you think it's artistic in, in any way possible? Like, what do you... I mean, I think it's challenging our notions of art in many ways, mm -hmm. of what is art. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it is... We've, for centuries, we've always perceived art as something innately human, right? There's there's very few other creatures that that, you know, like, the concept of art is something that's very, very human. Mm -hmm. um, and I think when people, when the idea of artificial intelligence was like first perceived and in and, and, and popular culture in general, we've always seen AI as something that's gonna be very analytical, right? It's gonna, oh, it's gonna be really good at numbers. It's gonna be really good at, you know, maybe like code stuff or like whatever, like, but we always thought that art would be the last thing because art is something innately human, something that requires feeling and I think the recent developments are definitely challenging that notion. Um, AI, and it's interesting, same things, the things we're seeing with ChatGPT and DALI and Stable Diffusion and a lot of these AI models, the very first things that are getting tackled and they're really like mastering is art. They, uh, with DALI, for example, you can tell DALI, hey, uh, draw me a, a uh, give me a picture of uh, a puppy uh, riding a roller coaster with, uh, you know, with uh, Meryl Streep in the background, kind of thing. Like, and and it, it will come up with it, and it will, and it will, you know, it can make it even like photorealistic. Mm -hmm. um, 
I read a paper when I was in college about also there was this guy who this group uh, these researchers that created a uh, artificial intelligence that was specifically meant for music and what they did is they took this sheet music from Mozart and they took I think, I think it was Beethoven actually they took all of Beethoven's works everything he ever wrote basically and they converted the uh, everything into numbers so basically how loud or soft the music was the, the, was the dynamics of the music they got turned into a number from 0 to 10 basically um, and the notes, the tone, whether it's an A, a B, a C, a D, an E, an F, a G, uh, all of those, the tones were also, uh, turned into numbers basically. And the speed, the beats per minute, that's a number. And they, they, they turned all these into numbers basically, and they fed it into an artificial intelligence. And so they fed it all of the works of Mozart ever, and they were able to then ask it, Hey, can you come up with a brand new piece of, um, a brand new uh, Beethoven piece that's never been heard before. And it created a brand new piece in the style of Beethoven. And they, they had a symphony orchestra play it. And uh, music historians listened to it and they said, this is almost as if we found a lost piece from Beethoven because it's literally in his style. Is in, it, it's following all of the things that Beethoven did. It's literally as we found a lost piece of music from Beethoven. It's indistinguishable as a from a lost piece of Beethoven. And that makes people then question, yeah, like if we can boil down all of human creativity into patterns, then maybe we can't see the patterns and they're not that easily replicable, but machines can. Like it can all be boiled down to zeros and ones. Then how human is art and how truly unique is it what we're doing or if it, if it can just be replicated by a computer. So it definitely does bring up those questions, but I think what we're going to see in the near future, it's going to enable a lot of people to use it as a tool. It's kind of like a co-pilot for artists and something you can use as artists can, instead of rejecting or trying to fight against, can embrace and use in their work from now on. I think it's going to democratize a lot of things in terms of art. Um, in many ways so i think you answered so many more so many questions that developed throughout that conversation that i would have asked that you just filled in the blanks well, i can talk about ai for days because so. like we're saying that art is something that's a very human like medium but if and if, if zeros and ones can do it then what does it really mean to be human but at the same time, like you just said now, it shouldn't be considered a supplement or not even, it shouldn't be considered a substitute, but more of a supplement, more of a, a tool that you can use to like maybe get, get you from point A to point Z faster. So I don't know, it's, it's, it's a very interesting polarizing topic because there's, there's the artists that are like, fuck that because it's, it's depriving us from what the genuine art form is, but there's also people that see potential. So what would you really say to convince the naysayers that are fighting against it? Why is it, why is this tool really that validating and that progressive? So if here's, here's what I say to them, because people right now use AI to make 
like storylines to make like even it's, being used. It, it's, it's yeah. being used for stuff that only a human can really fucking do. Yeah. So in general, I'm going to start by saying I've been doing a lot of research on artificial intelligence and what is about to come is going to change the world in a way that's more radical than the industrial revolution changed the world. You really think so? The oh, artificial yeah. intelligence revolution is going to be insane. Oh, and it's going to affect yeah. every aspect of society. Let me, let's take you let's take, let's take it back to, uh, I'm, I'm not great with history. I'm, whenever the industrial revolution <laughs> happened, I think it was the early 1800s. Yeah. Uh, if you were a farmer in the early 1800s and your father before you was a father, was a farmer, your grandfather before you was a farmer, and you you decided, oh yeah, they just created this thing called a tractor, and it does a lot of the work for you, but that's not real farming. You know, I I'm I'm gonna stick to you know like the tradition and, and do this. You probably starved, um, and the reason is because these tools came along, and you either embraced them, or you went out of business. You kind of did. You have to embrace the things that are happening in the times because. A farmer that is just farming, you have five people working for you and you're using your hands to farm things, you're not going to do the same amount of work that you do with a tractor. These are tools. These are tools we have to use and we have to stop seeing them as a something that's going to replace us and seeing them more as a tool that we can use to enhance our creativity. Something we can use to, uh, to magnify, amplify. It's an amplifier of our creativity. There's new things we can do there are things that are now easier to do with this technology, and and but now we need to embrace them so we can do even greater things that weren't possible before. And the same thing happened with the typing press. If you were a scribe back in whenever the typing press was created, I don't know, but and you decided I'm not going to embrace this, I'm just going to keep doing it. You probably went out of business pretty quickly once the the, the, the printing press became a thing, and they were printing out all these copies of whatever books were that Shakespeare plays or the Bible or whatever, and you were still doing it by hand, you do one book every month, this thing prints out like 10 a day. And you, you need to, so, so it's something, it, I think it is looking at history, it is a very stupid bet to go against technology. Uh, you need to embrace the things that are happening and don't, you can't see it as the end of something because the tractor changed farming forever, yeah. but it didn't eliminate farming. It created a new way of farming. It created a way to produce more, to, it amplified what a farmer could produce. So now as an artist, you are an artist and there's all these things that are happening with, with, with artificial intelligence. You can choose to fight it. You can choose to fight it. And honestly, you're probably gonna lose. You're probably gonna lose. It's, it's sad, and I'm not. And it's, I'm just being realistic. Just looking at history, the way the patterns of history. Um, think of the internet. Like, if you were doing things by hand, you were writing things down in a notebook. Today, like, you're not gonna get very far like that. You need to, you, computers are a tool that you need to use and have bled into every part of society. And it's gonna be a very similar thing with artificial intelligence. Artificial intelligence today can write things. It can create images very soon they'll be able to create videos. Um, I think it's gonna create a very drastic change in society. Uh, today we have like, like today for example, uh, we have, I think every single facet of society is gonna be a, a affected by artificial intelligence. People go to school to study the law so they can become lawyers. And these are experts in law. 
machines can learn everything. They're, our chat GPT passed the LSAT already. It passed the, uh, the medical exams. I forgot which one wow. it was, but there was, a, there was an article that came out about that. There was, it passed the Harvard Business Entrance Exam as well. Like these technologies, they're incredible. They, are, they, they, they do a lot of things and we need to embrace them the same way we embrace the calculator, the same way that we embrace computers because all they're gonna do is they're gonna magnify our productivity and what we can do. Um, um, I, I agree with what you're saying about these, these, um, these, these technological advances being tools that can be used to amplify and, and help with productivity, but wouldn't, I, I'm still inclined to believe that it's, it's taking away from creativity as a whole, um, mainly in the sense that, like you said, chat, um, what's it called? Chat GPT. Chat GPT. Um, something that can write scripts for you. Uh, when you t when you give it a prompt or you give it some references, it'll write a script for you. Wouldn't you consider that to be something that will take away from your own personal creativity? Because a lot of creativity, to me at least, creativity is kind of a, a, a culmination of a lot of experiences that you have as a person because it comes from, from within. So if you're eliminating those experiences and you're only using source material that's found online, that's you know publicly acknowledged from the, the jet, uh, chat GPT, comes uh, goes to like that i feel like that takes away from your own personal creativity now that being said you can use it as a tool to inspire something and make the adjustments based on what your personal experiences are but i wouldn't call relying on ai to write a script for you being creative let me let me, let me add to that real quick because if a different sign a different side of the coin different perspective when AI becomes a standard, doesn't that make the craft, the, the raw craft in itself, a form of artisanal craft then? Like, does it, do you think it'll add more value? Because it's not assisted by an AI, it's it's more raw, it's it more human. quote unquote handmade. Because look at, look at, <laughs> huge example, sourdough bread. Yeah. Like right now we're, we're when when like yeast was made and mass production was made it, it filled the gaps of like hunger and like accessibility to food and all that stuff but then it kind of also creates an opportunity for like craftsmanship for artisanal and in its own nature it creates higher value in stuff that is more handmade more traditional so although ai mates may like supplement certain variables don't you think that it will increase the value of the truest form factor of art when it comes to like from point a to point c like thinking of the idea conceptualizing like if anything i think it might even like heighten the value of it to a certain degree yes uh yeah definitely i think it does to me it does i i, I do think that it, that uh you know just because one day ChatGPT or whatever AI exists out there will be able to make movies doesn't mean I'm, I'm going to stop making movies because I enjoy and love the craft. What I do think is going to change, it's going to challenge it on every in every industry, but especially ours, the film industry or just the art industry in general, is it's going to challenge the notion of really capitalism. The yeah. notion of yeah. how do you make money off of these yeah. things? Because if... 
I can now tell ChatGPT, hey, make me a Simpson episode where Homer goes to Vegas and gambles all his money away and uh, ends up, you know, I don't know, sleeping with Marilyn Monroe or something. I don't know, some, some, some ridiculous thing. And it creates it. Then, and, you, and, and, and it's not just that I can do that. It's that everyone can do that. Now, all of a sudden, you're not, I'm no longer waiting for a new episode from Netflix. I can make the new episode from Netflix. So all of a sudden, there's going to be an influx of new media all of a sudden where anyone can create the, a show of whatever. If I can, I can take an AI, AI, artificial intelligence models are, are trained on data. I can take an artificial intelligence model, tr like train it on every single episode of Breaking Bad and produce a brand new episode of Breaking Bad. Now, extrapolate that further into the future, maybe 10, 15 years from now, I feed it uh, every Christopher Nolan movie, and also I spit out a brand new Christopher Nolan movie. And anybody can do this because the technology is dem democratized. Anybody can do this. What that does is it eliminates, um, it doesn't eliminate the value of, of, your, of your art in the sense of like, what it means to you, and I'm still gonna make movies, and I'm still gonna do all this stuff, because I love this stuff. And again, that, it goes back down to whether you love it or not. But it's really gonna challenge the notion of whether, like, is, like, the commercialization of art. The idea of you can make money off of this now. So it's gonna challenge Netflix, it's gonna challenge Disney, it's gonna challenge, like, like why am I going to pay for a subscription when I can make my own content? Like, imagine you feed into an artificial intelligence the top five or 10 best series of all time. I feed it in Breaking Bad. I feed in, uh, uh, you know, Mad Men. I feed, I feed in Game of Thrones. I feed in uh, Better Call Saul. I feed in Peaky Blinders. I feed in all these amazing shows that are renowned as some of the greatest shows of all time, The Sopranos. And I tell it, produce me a brand new series. The entire thing, all six seasons. And it can do so like this or in a minute or whatever in an hour maybe because it's so long whatever but maybe eventually it'll be like this in a snap in a, in a snap of the fingers all of a sudden it makes no sense anymore to produce all these things for money but then but that, i think that's the same thing that, it, that it's going to do to the film and art industry it's going to do to everything all of a sudden self, we have self-driving cars where uh truck drivers and uber drivers we don't need them anymore we have self-driving cars that do all this stuff for us. Self-driving trucks that do this all that they do all this for us. Um, Tesla is working on this thing called um, the Tesla Bot. I don't know if you guys have seen the Tesla Bot. Tesla Bot is so basically Tesla is arguably the world's most uh, uh, advanced robotics company because a robot is just a physical machine that does something for you autonomously. That's what a robot is. Mm -hmm. A self-driving car is technically a robot. It's right. doing a task for you. What they've mm -hmm. done though, is they've created this thing called the Tesla bot and they're in the works right now. And the Tesla bot is a humanoid robot. It's literally in the shape of a human. And it can do pretty much most manual labor than a, than a human can. It can lift things, it can move things, it can clean, it can flip burgers. So. This is coming. They're already working on this. And in the 2020s, they're going to release the first ones. At first, it's going to be super expensive. But by 20, mid-2030s, you can imagine a Tesla bot costing as much as your car, basically. So if you can afford two cars, you can afford a car and a Tesla bot. So it's not going to be like just the wealthiest people have it. But like 
you know, people that can, if you, the if average you person, the average person for the most part, you know, middle class Americans will be able to own their own Tesla bot. Right. And imagine this thing can clean your house. It's your janitor. It's your cook. It, it cooks for you. It can mow your lawn. You can imagine one day you can sit in your house. You are laying on your couch. You're watching TV and your Tesla bot opens the fridge, realizes you ran out of milk. And it goes, it gets out of your house and it goes and it gets inside a tes your Tesla that drives itself and takes himself over to Publix. Shout out to Publix. <laughs> Shout and, out Publix. <laughs> and goes and it buys more milk, it pays for you, it exits, it gets back in your self-driving car, drives itself back home, walks in through your door and restocks your fridge. This is a reality in the near future. So... All these manual labor jobs, people that are roofers, people that are janitors, people that are cooks, all of this, you can train this bot to do. Uh, Google just released a brand new uh, artificial intelligence model that they're working on. They released a paper very recently called Palm E. And these artificial intelligence models, they combine the innovations of like these large language models like ChatGPT that can understand human language and they combine it with robotics. And so now this, this new uh, artificial intelligence that Google uh, released, Palm E, it's showing some really interesting things where you can tell a robot, it showed some videos, you can see them, where you literally tell the robot, hey, you have, there's a table with a bunch of different colored blocks. You have red blocks, green blocks, yellow blocks, and blue blocks. And then at the corner of each table, you have four different cans. You have a Coke can, a Sprite can, a Fanta can, and pick one more, Dr. Pepper on the other corner over there. You can, they literally did tests where they told it, hey, grab all the yellow blocks and push them towards the Dr. Pepper can. And the robot understood the command, understood what it was seeing, recognized which can was which, recognized which block was which, and moved only the yellow blocks over to the Dr. Pepper can. We can do that today. That's what's coming towards us. And if you can do that, if you can get a car to drive itself, you can get a robot to clean your toilet. You can get a robot to clean your house. You can get a robot to cook. These are things that are very, very doable. And so cooks, janitors, drivers, truck drivers, most artistic people, um, copywriters. You're a writer, this can do it. Secretaries. This can do it and it'll work 24 7 the artificial intelligence will work 24 7 it's not like someone picking up the phone you no longer need a human being to do this an artificial intelligence can do this and they do it 24 7 they can do it in any language and they can do it 100 people at the same time and so these things are going to challenge capitalism in the next 10 years in many in many interesting ways because if capitalism's goal has always been you minimize costs maximize profits, right? That is the whole goal of it, of running a business. And, if you can, and artificial intelligence lets you, taking the example of a secretary that picks up your phone, if artificial intelligence can pick up your phone and do the job as good as a human because it understands what you're saying. It's no longer this, you know, usually today, if you call Wells Fargo and, or Chase and you, and, you, and you get the machine, hello, you've reached Wells Fargo. Press one to talk to this, press two to do this. You're like, oh my God, this sucks.
But if it was an artificial intelligence that understands everything you're saying and responds like a human, you can barely even tell, it's actually gonna do the job just as good if not better than a human. So you're actually gonna, in the future, once you pick up the phone and you realize it's artificial intelligence, it's not gonna be like, oh damn, I've talked to this thing. It's gonna be like, oh, thank God. They're not gonna give me attitude. They're gonna, they're gonna do the job amazingly. They're gonna do a great job. Like it's gonna be like, it's gonna be like literally your best employee, but always. And you get to now, and you get to scale that because you can answer a thousand calls at the same time with the same artificial intelligence. You can do it in any language at the same time with artificial intelligence, and you can do it 24/7 even on holidays. So every business is gonna do that. So then secretaries are gone, drivers are gone, nannies are gone, and 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 so. What does that mean? It means that we're gonna to have to kind of reevaluate the system we have today. It's not gonna work. What we have today worked in the world of yesterday, but this new world we're entering, we're gonna to have to figure out something new. We're gonna to have to figure out something new because it, human labor is not gonna be as valuable anymore because now you have robots or artificial intelligence. So anything with physical or even mental can be done by machines. So I'm not, and I'm not seeing this as like the end of life for humanity or an apocalypse. I think it's gonna be a very, 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 very big change in life and society. Where is that gonna leave us? Yeah, wouldn't you think that that would is like cause for panic Especially for most for people? Especially for like the cooks, the, the drivers, the nannies, the secretaries, like. The, the only jobs left are working. The realism with is, are we all gonna have to be engineers? Are we all gonna have to be like code writers? Like, where does that leave the craftsmanship? Here's the thing: these models are already writing code. I can tell a model. I can tell ChatGPT, "Hey, write me a program that uh, does X, Y, Z," and it can do it. And it can do it today. Already, it can do that. So even even programmers are not safe. Even coders are not safe. What we're gonna have to learn to do is to work with these things, to use these things. It's gonna have to be an, an adaptation. And it sounds, it's gonna be rough. It's gonna be rough. And there are some people that if they decide to just, I'm not gonna adapt, they might be screwed. They might be screwed. I mean, a small example is the pandemic, believe it or not. Like a lot of the, a lot of people suffered during the pandemic, but a lot of people thrived because they utilized that as an asset to maximize resources that were needed. Like, like the, the, the blue collars suffered, but the people like doing Uber or that or DoorDash or these things that needed, like filling the gap kind of like supplemented the gap, if that made sense. So I guess the same would have to apply to, to this new technology. We have to, like you're saying, learn to work with it, not necessarily turn away from it and not necessarily be afraid of it, but kind of see like, how can I apply this asset to my workflow to maximize productivity or profits or whatever. Or whatever. And it's, I'm not gonna lie, for me, it's scary because I'm not, I'm a developer in the sense of like, I like to bring people together. The idea of like bringing AI together and implementing into my workflow is scary, but more because I, I don't have the recognition of it or I don't have the knowledge to really know how to utilize it properly. I think if that's the direction we're going, we need to provide 
those resources for everyone, not just the white collars, but the blue collars. And like, I know this may take away this, but this is how we can probably repurpose it so you can profit off of it. Yeah, I think to I think to a certain extent though, um, creativity is still gonna be something that that artisanal shit, the craftsmanship that, that stays mainly because um, the human experience is ultimately unique to every individual. Um, even though a lot of people have shared experiences, the overall experience of life is unique to everyone, and I don't think it's something that can be replicated by an AI that does the research on it. even if it took the life of everyone on earth it won't be able to replicate what your brain is processing you know what i mean as a as an individual so i think i think creativity might be safe to a certain degree um so i'm not i'm not fully scared of maybe you just the ai revolution but maybe it is going to be a good way to a, a good time to change and, and to adapt to something i think maybe it'll provide a sense of authenticity like That's i true. i think the fact a good example maybe is look at TikTok. look at having phones with 4k cameras look at all these things that have given accessibility to people that didn't anyone. have it before literally anyone so maybe although on one side it might deprive like a lot of people from being able to be seen it might also kind of like make them a little bit more unique because mm -hmm. in the topics that we've had before in this show like it, what is really a filmmaker what is a videographer what is a storyteller like maybe it just creates a new genre of like how we perceive things I don't know. It's, it's yeah, it, it's going to be a change. Um, and I think we need to embrace it in many ways because I think whoever doesn't embrace it is going to just be left behind. And we are at the very beginning of it right now. We're at the very beginning of it right now. And I think this is the time to learn about it, learn how to use it, and try and figure out how you can use it for whatever you want to do, right? So as a filmmaker, for example, uh, you don't need to use it to write your script. You write your own scripts. You write your own scripts but there are things you have to do as a filmmaker that aren't fun you just have to do them for example when you're a producer or a filmmaker or whatever and you're putting your film out there you need to write a log line you need to write a synopsis of your film right because for whether it's for marketing purposes or to get other people on board or whatever you need to write character breakdowns usually for casting right you need to uh create a budget you need to create a shooting schedule. You need to create a production plan. You can do use AI for all of this. Well, maybe use... that's a good example. Maybe that's a yeah. the, maybe that's a perspective we need to probably look at it. It's not necessarily a replacement, but like you're saying, a tool, tool where kind of like the origin of AI in itself. We we provide the ones and zeros for it to run off of, but at the end of the day, we're still the ones saying i need this based off of this you're providing the input you are providing the input for like for example the example i gave earlier of some crazy story of homer simpson in vegas losing mm -hmm. all his money and end up hooking up with marilyn monroe that was some random thought that came to my mind the ai didn't come up with that but i typed that in and then it produced something mm -hmm. that is creativity right there 
that is creativity that I input into this and then it just produce whatever I told it to do. AI does what we tell it to do. That's what the creativity, there's, you can't, you're not eliminating the human input. It is a tool that we use. AI does not work independently of us. We trigger it through a certain input. And so that is input output. It, the things in the middle is what the AI does. It just produces. The machine, it just produces. So should we ever be intimidated or frightened by the idea of being over, overcasted by it? Or do you think it's just strictly, as you said, a tool? I think we need to embrace it as a tool. I think that it exists. It's here today. It's not going away. Are there scary aspects of it? There are. I mean, the same way that we can use tools for good, people use tools for bad. And there are bad actors out there that I think will do whatever they can to try and figure out how to do, use this, these technologies for bad. And the organizations that are building them have that in mind. Um, for example, OpenAI talks a lot about this. Safe AI, responsible AI, building responsibly. Um, OpenAI is, is, is a big uh, company that's leading this. It's uh, partially funded by Microsoft, by Elon Musk, mm -hmm. um, uh, and by a few other big actors. I think Peter Thiel is another big investor in, in OpenAI. Um, and then you have Stable Diffusion, who's also there. They have these like a mission statement where they talk about their morals and about you know building in the open and building in open source and building also like uh, it, trying to ingrain these tools into these models. So the way it's working right now is that there are these big behemoth companies. The big ones right now are OpenAI. Um, there's another one company called Anthropic. Another one called Stable Diffusion. Those are really the biggest ones, the biggest players. I might be missing one here. Maybe, maybe I know Meta's also trying to build their own, but these are the biggest ones right now. Um, and, and obviously Google. Google's another huge one. I think Google and Anthropic work together a lot. Um, and basically, these uh, they're all leading the charge in developing the artificial intelligence. And then other companies are using the artificial intelligence that they're developing for their own purposes. Like I'm trying to build an artificial intelligence app right now with my cousin and a few and another friend of mine. Um, I'm not building the artificial intelligence. I'm reusing the artificial intelligence that th these companies are building, but for my own purposes. It's like they built the Lego bricks and I'm putting them together, yeah, building my own Lego it. thing. Exactly. But I didn't build. I didn't create the Lego pieces. Those are. That, that's really what. It, when you're an engineer, you don't build. You rarely build anything from scratch as an engineer. As an engineer, you are taking Lego blocks that someone else built and you're just putting them together for your own purpose. That's what you do as an engineer. Um, you're rarely creating the Lego pieces. And there are some that are, there, there are engineers that are, but the vast majority of engineers, the 98% of them are building things with the Lego blocks that someone else made. Uh, you didn't build the camera, you guys are using it. You didn't build the lights you guys use, you guys are using them. So you, that's similar with this. These companies that are building the artificial intelligence, they have all that in mind and people are reusing them for their own purposes. And they're trying to build morality into the fabric of these artificial intelligence machines and, 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 and algorithms. But it is, a, it is a big task and it is difficult. And uh, we'll see, we'll see. Time will tell if they'll be successful or not in doing that. It is, it can't, it's, it is a little, anything that's unknown is a little scary. Change is scary. Um, but the people that come out the best are the people that embrace the change, not the ones that fight against it. I agree. I mean, I would say like with anything else that we do, I think this is a huge example of like, out of what we have control at least right now. 
don't let fear deprive you from like the possibilities of the outcomes that you can get from set tools um let me bring more human factor to it to cause to also close out the show because we're going a little beyond mm -hmm. the time frame we want but just be prepared to adapt whether you're a producer whether you're an actor whether you're an engineer whether you mm -hmm. believe in ai or not you, you always... said you said yourself earlier i'm sorry no no go for it go for it you said yourself earlier that the people who advance the people who come out on top are always the ones who are constantly stepping out of their comfort zone so it's a great way to bring and that let back. me tie that to the original topic of acting i guess the best actors, in my opinion, are the ones that are ready to react, not necessarily the ones that are rehearsed or the ones that are going based off the reference or the page. So, yeah, I don't know. Just be prepared to adapt, be prepared to react because the world is changing literally mm -hmm. by the second. So, I don't know. This is honestly, this, this has been a very en enriching and like intense discussion discussion yeah and it's been very fun it's been very fucking great yeah, i will good. say the whiskey has been great but it has been powerful just <laughs> like the a, conversation a strong motherfucker yeah, we need right to here. mix it in with we need to make an old-fashioned because neat yeah, yeah is rough i should have brought some bitters and cherries and stuff to make yeah it. well we'll get the budget eventually yeah. but... on an unrelated note you i think you would make an amazing villain <laughs> <laughs> just just because i was watching you talk about ai or whatever and and the, the way you put like your so much passion into it mm -hmm. whether we agreed with it or not it just felt like such a villain moment <laughs> not to say that what you're saying is bad but yeah it just felt like i don't know i just pictured it of you like revealing your evil plan but like <laughs> believing in it so hard you know what i mean i thought it was cool we'll write it We'll write something. I think yeah. the best villains are probably pretty passionate villains. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I wouldn't say I'm a villain, but I. Um, but you yeah. can play one. Oh yeah, I'm yeah sure. definitely. I'm sure. My dad's done it many times. I'm sure I can do it too. <laughs> I. Um, I think uh, one last thing that I want to say is that yeah, I think. Um, I'm intro I have very different interests, right? Everything from film and acting to like yeah. technology, artificial intelligence, you know, all these different different things. Um, but I think one thing that I've realized over time is that everything's connected. Absolutely everything's connected. And if you see these things as independent or completely disconnected, um, you're not going to get as far as people that see it all as connected or try to find the connections, constantly seeking the connections. How can I reuse the things I learned here over here? Mm -hmm. Um, and that's helped me a lot as a producer. Another thing you, you mentioned before, what have I learned? A lot of the skills of a producer, the organizational skills, the planning, the uh, the leadership skills, I also learned as an engineer. I, I, I completely take from my experience as an engineer, as a producer, 100%. And I take from my, from my experience as an actor and a producer and an artist into my engineering as well. I gave a presentation uh, last week for my job and uh, one before that actually, where I presented and I talked and being able to speak in front of people and tell a cohesive story, a presentation is a story uh that comes from my acting so i always see these things as connected and i think everyone if you have varying different interests uh or different creative outlets and passions you don't have to see them as mutually exclusive all of these things are connected and constantly seek out the connections because that's what's going to make you unique these different connecting all of these different worlds together is what's going to make you unique and it's going to make you stand out basically
yeah i mean to to kind of just pick it back up on that and kind of like not necessarily dumb it down but we have to stop looking at these things as isolated scenarios and like just be open to the full scale possibilities that each component will apply to like an unforeseen situation that's to come like i've learned a lot of shit in my time as a chef that i see very applicable in the stuff i do in filmmaking i've learned a lot of stuff in my current job that i see applicable so like whether it's ai whether it's stage performance whether it's producing whether it's whatever just have faith that whatever you're doing has its purpose in the lineage of the line uh, the lineage of the life that you're pursuing because it's all gonna come back around it's all gonna connect so damn bro it's been a hell of a fucking conversation i don't even know where to fucking like conclude i think it's just a matter of like getting well to we can point. ask him the question we can ask him the question he's very familiar with the question since this is the like his second visit here do you recall the question the famous old question was creativity mean to me is that the question i mean do we even need to ask at this point do you want to just take the role or do you want to put it into the ai system and see what it says <laughs> i can put it in chat and see what it says hey, maybe, maybe we do that but no for real talk what like how just for those that didn't tune into that episode and also like i've mentioned in the beginning of the episode things have changed since then has your perspective of creativity, what does creativity mean to you change? And if so, what does it mean now to you? And what do you see it even evolving to? What does creativity in the large scale of Alex Ludo mean? Um, that's a great question. Uh, creativity, it's hard to define, but I think it comes from exploring the unknown and being open to the unknown. And because creativity tends to come from, again, from like searching deep into something that no one else has ever done, right? So I think it comes from, yeah, trying to find, getting, it goes all the way back to getting comfortable with being uncomfortable and trying to find these kernels of gold in the darkness, in the unknown, trying to venture where no one has ventured before, basically. Um, so yeah, I think, I think it, it all, ties together with that trying to trying to go where no one's gone before trying to explore thing ideas and um and yeah in general getting out of your comfort zone is uh, usually when you're most creative when you try to get into those i think david bowie said that yeah like basically as an artist like imagine you're going out into the ocean right and you're swimming and you're getting to and, and and you're you're going into the ocean you're walking in you're walking into this into the water and you keep going and going and going and going until it's the water is at your shoulders and you keep going and it's at your neck and you keep going and the water now has completely gone above your head and you're you just got to the point where your feet can no longer touch the ground that is where you need to be as a creative because that is where you're going to find new ground you're going to find new things when you reach that that, 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 that space, that's you're gonna grow and you're gonna find new things. When you reach the point where your feet just can't touch the ground. Maybe you don't, you don't go all the way into the deep end where you, where you can't, you, know, you, you slowly make your way there, but you go just deep enough where your feet can't touch the ground anymore. Um, and that's where you're gonna find your, 
your greatness and you're going to find, and yes, you're going to grow and you're going to find new things. And that's what creativity is all about. Finding, finding new things and new and, and new perspectives and, and all of that. So, um, yeah, that's, I guess that's what, Bro, that's a great answer. I love that we get a different answer every time. On top of that, I just, that was so good. I just got a new perspective on creativity. Yeah. Based on, and it's simple. Creativity is seeing the unseen. Yeah. It's seeing the potentials of innovation, of possibility, of like thinking differently of the what ifs. And I think that's like what you just touched on. Creativity is so evolving. It's never idle. Mm -hmm. it's it's ever changing it's ever transcending through perspective on perspective on experience on tragedies on joys creativity is seeing the unseen seeing where the next chapter goes and i think that's fucking beautiful i think that welcome the unknown yeah absolutely i have nothing else to say you need to close the show out <laughs> Well, thanks for listening, uh, first and foremost. And secondly, thank you for being here. Absolutely. It was a pleasure. Um, it was really an interesting conversation. Um, I'll admit, a little bit intimidating. <laughs> with, like you said, the, 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 the infinite possibilities of what you said, of the what ifs, um, whether it's about technology or the fear of having our creativity stripped from us by said technology but uh all in all i think uh like you said creativity is exploring the unknown and that's just what humanity is all about you know that's how we progress as people why fear it if, like like we because we fear what we don't know and then once we know it we don't fear it as much exactly so we embrace it yeah. We, we, we grow on it. We learn from it. We that's part of from it. That's part of the process of evolution, man. You fear it. You test the waters. You see what's up. And you, you dive. Bro, scary as fuck to see what's what tomorrow brings. But maybe there's a brighter tomorrow. Yeah. I like to think there is. All right. Any any final words? Any any projects you want to give a shout out? Anything you want to like let the viewer... Not viewers. The listeners kind of like... Linger on. What, yeah. what are your last words? You're gonna plug anything in that until you're the next on? time you're on the show because don't believe me, this is not the last time. Um, I don't got much, not much more, man. Uh, love you, mom. Thanks for listening, and that's pretty much it. On my end, dale. 305. Dale, 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 305. For those of you that are reading Dale, it's actually Dale. Hell yeah. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you for everything, for all the support, for all the future and current listeners. And like I say in the YouTube videos, I mean, be, be a, a visionary. Yeah. Be a visionary because you're, you're the one, you're the first person to see it and you're the last person to make sure it flourish just in the way that you think it should don't give up keep going keep pushing keep persevering your voice matters and good night peace Bam. that's a wrap <laughs>